Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Miss Wells. The power of the cross. Last week, Judy and I had an opportunity to go and be in church with our daughter and son-in-law and grandson. We went and visited with Corey and Shane and Canaan. It was his birthday, and we've made it a custom tradition now over the past nine years to, to go and go to church with them on his birthday week. And so I appreciate Brother Gene Baldwin coming and sharing with us. He was excited about being here. I was able to, I went online and saw the service Monday and Monday morning, and so I know you had a good time, and I appreciate uh, Brother Gene. He, he loves to come out here. You can tell that. And I know uh, just by the sermon as he preached on the second coming, he enjoyed sharing with our church about the Lord's return. This morning, if you brought your copy of God's Word, I'm going to be sharing from Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And I want us to think about the doctrine of stewardship today. Now, in order to be good stewards that God intends for us to be, uh, we must be willing to follow certain laws of stewardship. There are certain laws of stewardship. And the one that I would like for us to look at today is the first law of stewardship. So the first law of stewardship is true ownership. True ownership. And we want to look at this today. To be better stewards, to be the stewards that God would have us to be, then we need to come to, to grips with true ownership. True ownership. Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 13. Well, before I do, let me just kind of introduce it with 1 through verse 13. Thousands of people had gathered to hear Jesus teach, to hear Jesus preach. The Bible says that there were so many people that they were trampling over one another. I believe the King James Version uses the word trod there in verse uh, 12, trod one upon another. And so you had this gigantic group of people. Now, when I was thinking of that, I kindly, it kindly, to me, I thought of, kind of resembled perhaps a crowd at a super Walmart on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. You, you saw, you've seen those on TV where they kindly, you know, the employee opens the door and then runs for their life and all these people come in. It's kindly the picture that I got when it said that the people trod one upon another. So Jesus is about to teach, and he begins his teaching by, by warning his disciples, first of all, there in verse 1, about hypocrisy. He said, don't be like the, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't, he, says, uh, he says, don't be like the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees, the corruption of the Pharisees. They had corrupted the law. They had corrupted their own religious system. Don't be like the hypocrites. The Pharisees. So he warns against hypocrisy. And then he describes God's judgment there in verse 2 and 3. And then he teaches a little about hell. And then he talks about uh, the omniscience of God. God being all-knowing. We can't hide anything from God. And then he speaks about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit when we're brought before courts and magistrates and and that the Holy Spirit that lives within us will give us the words that we need, the very moment that we need them. He's not preaching against, uh, he's not anti-education. He's not saying that we should 
not go to seminary or to study God's Word or not to prepare for a sermon, but he's saying, listen, when you're brought in those uncomfortable positions before people, don't worry about that because the Holy Spirit within you will give you the words that you need to speak at the time you need those words. Then suddenly in all of this teaching, someone in the crowd blurted out something. And so you had an interruption. And you have that from time to time. Our children are accustomed to interrupting you, perhaps at home. But just like good parents need to take those interruptions, whatever they might be, and to use them in a positive sense, in a positive way, for a teaching moment with your children or with a friend, perhaps an adult friend. Interruptions are not always bad. And so Jesus had this interruption... And Jesus used this disruption to teach some valuable truths about stewardship. Look, if you will, at verse 13, you'll see the interruption. And one of the company said unto him, now keep in mind, he's just teaching. This great crowd of people is there, and he's teaching about hell, and he's teaching about uh, the omniscience of God, and he's teaching some of these doctrinal issues. And then all of a sudden, he gets this disruption And one of the company in verse 13 said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Of all things. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Tell my brother to give me what's coming to me. Can you imagine that? The question is, why would this man make such a demand of Jesus? Did did he have a bad brother or... Or did did the brother have a problem? So first of all, you have this interruption there in verse 13. But then after the interruption, you have Jesus' response. And so Jesus gives some insight from the interruption. Notice his insight in verse 14. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? So Jesus just wanted this man to know that that he wasn't this divine referee, and he wasn't going to make this decision. Jesus was headed toward the cross. He had his mind focused on the cross, not about some family inheritance. Now, he could have settled the issue, but then, more than likely, he just referred him to the law. Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17 speaks about the law of inheritance, and it would cover any question that this man had about how the inheritance should have been distributed. But Jesus was well aware of this man's problem, and this man's problem went further than an inheritance. The root cause of the man's problem wasn't his brother. Jesus points that out. The root cause is shown to us in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Take heed to this group of people, to his disciples, Beware of covetousness, greed. Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And so the root cause, the problem was not the man's brother, but the root cause of this man's problem was greed. Verse 15. You see, Jesus always goes to the problem and not just to the symptoms. Sometimes we have symptoms that come from a major problem that's deep within. Jesus goes to the man's problem. 
Now, greed is the same as covetousness. Some translation uses the word covetousness. And covetousness can cause you a lot of problems. Covetousness, greed, can cause you a lot of grief. It's the beginning of many sins. I'll have people to come up from me from time to time. And throughout my ministry, several times, I've had them to come to me and share about problems they're experiencing about dividing the family inheritance. And they can't understand how a certain relative can act like they're acting. Let me ask you a question. Can you understand it now? It's not all about sentimental feelings about the old trunk or the old bedroom suit or the property line. It goes much deeper than that. And Jesus said it boils down to being greedy. Now, with this greed thing in mind, Jesus issues a warning. The warning's found there in verse 15. He says, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. First of all, he says in verse 15, the A part, he says, Take heed. Literally, he's saying, Take heed. Watch out. Be on your guard. Guard against all kinds of greed. You know, there's more kinds of greed than just money. Jesus said, Take heed. Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed, against covetousness. Greed takes many shapes. It camouflages itself in many ways. It's not just about money. A person can be greedy for influence. They can be greedy for things. They can be greedy for positions. You have politicians, and we have some good politicians, and we have some some not-so-good politicians, and oftentimes, sometimes, I would say, that they like position. Sometimes for money, perhaps, for power, for influence. So you can, you can be greedy for money, but also for, for position and for things and for power and for influence. But you, you can also be greedy for spiritual things. Acts chapter 8 tells about a man by the name of Simon. And Simon saw the, holy, Simon saw the disciples lay their hands on the new Christians, and, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and he offered those, those disciples money if they would allow him to have that same gift and do the same thing. So some people are greedy just over spiritual things. Now notice Jesus made a statement there in verse 15 that's diametrically opposed to what the world says. Verse 15, Jesus said, Take heed, beware of covetous. Here's your statement. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. Now the world says different. The world says it's all about things. It's all about getting things. What's the old saying? The one with the most toys at the end wins? That's the world. The world says life does consist in the abundance of one's possessions. The world says get it all and, and then some. The world says it's owed to you. 
The world says it belongs to you. It's yours. May I suggest to you this morning that that philosophy is totally contrary to the teachings of Jesus, that it belongs to you and that you own it? Getting all that we can get is just a distorted view of the biblical doctrine of uh, stewardship. It doesn't belong to us. So before we can be the stewards that we need to be, we've got to come with this first law of true ownership. Now the main point is this. You don't own anything. I don't own anything. Nothing belongs to us. We're only stewards and we're managers of all that God has entrusted in our care. And by the way, and I'll share this a little later on in more depth, we'll give an account to our stewardship before God. And what we've done with the things that He has longed us to use while we're here. Point two, I notice, is that greed, knowing that we own nothing, it all belongs to Him, greed absolutely makes no sense. No sense. And so you have an interruption to Jesus' teaching. You have insight from, from His response and that greed was the underlying problem. But I noticed something else, number three, if you're jotting down notes, the illustration of the wisdom of Jesus. Now look at verse 16 through 21. And he spake a parable unto them. Now, what's a parable? Well, a parable, we're told, when I was in Bible school years ago, well, several years ago, long time ago, I was just a couple grades ahead of Terry. You know, I remember... Miss Grissom, Bob Grissom, Bob's deceased now, David Grissom's dad, uh, his, his dad's mother, Miss Grissom was my teacher. And so she, one day she described a parable of being a heavenly story, I mean an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's always stuck with me. And so in verse 16 through 21, Jesus gives a parable, this earthly story to illustrate this heavenly meaning about greed. Now, first of all, look at verse 16. Verse 16, he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. Verse 17, he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns, and I'll build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. See, he's got a problem already with this true ownership thing. And I will say to my soul, So thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thy foo, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? And so it is that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, the lesson from this parable, first of all, I jotted down, I think, three or four. Number one, beware of your success, verse 16 and 17. This man saw himself. He didn't see God. 
He saw himself, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room to bestow my fruits? Immediately he began to think how successful he was. How successful he was. He saw himself. He thought within himself. He began to talk to himself. And he thought within himself how successful he was. He didn't think about how God had blessed him. He just thought how, how great he was and what a great job that he had done. He had just reaped this bumper crop from my ground. Not God's ground, but from... Uh, it was from God's ground, but he considered it his ground. And he forgot that he was just a steward of what belonged to God. Then this harvest wasn't to prove that, that he was just a good farmer, or he was a better man, or he knew more than anyone else. But this bumper crop proved that God had been gracious to him, and God had been kind to him. Don't you think so? That's what it proved. But he didn't see it that way. He just considered how successful he had been in life. Here's the point. Wealth is no measure of worth. Regardless how wealthy you are, that doesn't measure your worth. Regardless how poor you might be, that doesn't measure your worth. Your worth as an individual is not measured by wealth. Every person, regardless whomever it may be, is important and is loved and honored by God. You're special to God. You're created for a purpose, and it's not because of your wealth that determines who you are in this world. Every person is special. But I noticed something else. Beware not only of being successful, but beware of self-assurance. Look at verse 18. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns, build greater, and then will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, So thou hast much good laid up many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. The man was focused on one person, and it wasn't God. It was himself. It's all about him. And as you read this, you can count. The, the pronoun I is used 13 times. It's all about I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and this is my barns and my fruit. It's all about me. Beware of self-assurance. Now here's his problem. Instead of seeing himself as the steward and the manager, he saw himself as the owner of everything. It's all mine. This is what belongs to me. I'm going to pull down my barns and I'm going to bestow all my fruits and I'm going to bestow all my goods. Beware of self-assurance. Number three, I jotted this down. Third lesson in the parable. Beware of false security. Verse 18, this will I do. Now he's putting it all in order now. He's making big plans for the future. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull down my barns. I'm going to build greater barns and I'm going to bestow all my fruits and my goods. You see, wealth, if you're not careful... Wealth is good if it's used appropriately, if it's used right and scripturally sound. Wealth brings a false sense of security. 
Stock market goes up, stock market comes down. Money market goes up, money market comes down. Riches are uncertain. There's nothing certain about riches. They're uncertain. Listen to James 5. I think I'll have it on the screen for you, but James 5, verse 3. James is talking to the rich. Now listen, all of us are rich, amen? Yeah, most, most of us like to think of someone that has more than us, they're the rich, but all of us are rich. I mean, we, we're all rich compared to the rest of the world. Every person in this room right here is very, 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 very wealthy. In James chapter 5, Verse 3, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Now listen to this, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasures together. You've hoarded treasures together for the last days. James says that our wealth will testify against us one day. The question at the judgment seat of Christ for the Christian is not going to be how much did you make or how much do you have. It's not going to be the question. But what did you do with what you had? That's the question. How did you use what belonged to me that I loaned to you while you were on the earth? That's the question. Notice James Verse 3, you, you, he speaks of your gold and silver is cankered. The rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat flesh as it were fire. You've heaped treasures together for the last day. You've hoarded this wealth. You've heaped treasures together. You've hoarded wealth in the last days from the time of Christ until the time that Christ returns. That's the last days. We're in the last days. So the question is, how have we used our wealth in the last days? Have we hoarded it? Have we just put it in our barns? Have we guarded it? Have we heaped it together? Have we used it for self-glorification? Have we used it for our own pleasure? Pleasure for us, pleasure for our family? Have we used it on things? Or have we given it to the Lord's work? Have we given it to the Lord's work for local missions and for, for foreign missions to help send shoeboxes for little toys around the world or to feed the hungry or for church ministries and how we minister in this church? And how have you used it? James says that our guarded resources will testify against us and eat our flesh like fire. And that should make each one of us just sit up on the edge of our seats. God's people will be held responsible for our stewardship. For over 42 years now, Jude and I have invested in the bank of heaven. Our hearts are in the church and in the work of the church. We've taught our children to do the same thing. And when we die, we'll leave them something more valuable than a pile of money to hoard and to guard and to worry about. I had a man tell me several years ago that had been blessed and come into a, a large amount of money, a large amount of money. He said in my study one day, 
And he rejoiced, and I rejoiced with him, and God's really blessed you, you know. And then about one year later, he came back, and he said this to me. I'll never forget it. He said, Brother Sammy, that that I told you was a blessing turned out to be a curse. I want my children to know that our treasures do not follow our heart, but our hearts follow our treasures. Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And it's, it's the most tragic thing in life. It's a tragic life. It's a failed life. To come to the end of life and have nothing but treasures laid up in this old world. That, my friend, is a tragic life. So we came into the world with nothing, and we're going to leave it the same way. And get this, you'll even give up your body, and it'll turn back to the dust from the earth in which it was taken. And the only thing that you'll have when you leave here is the soul that goes on before you. And it's eternal. And it'll either be headed for eternal life or eternal death. Everything else but that soul stays here. Even our body will be returned to the earth. It all belongs to God, even your soul. For the Bible says in the passages right prior to this or right after this, don't fear those about the magistrates. Remember, don't fear those that can destroy the, the body, but fear, he, fear him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. You don't even own your own soul. God owns it. We have nothing. Beware of self-security. Beware of self-assurance. Beware of success. And I'll close with this. Beware of self-satisfaction. Verse 19 through 21. Look at it. I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This old guy's got it made. But God said to him, Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? There's an old Chinese proverb that says this. Thy fool, this night, these things have required your soul. That's powerful. So it is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I was talking to a guy, he's deceased now, and I was witnessing to him one night, and it's been several years ago. It's when they, the alcohol first came into uh, uh, not Lardell County, but, uh, help me out, Tarbot, thank you, I'm old, Tarbot County. And he, he said, Brother Sammy, he said, I went to visit him, he said, I just need to share something with you. I, I'm buying a package store. And he said, I have it figured that in three years, I, I'll, I'll, have an ass, I'll have assets of $1 million. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, let me ask you a question. Let's just pretend that all that money you had, you put in this room. We were in his living room. And we just filled this room full of money, all but three feet from the top of the room. 
And I said, and then you, you just kind of swam your way up to the top. And you reached your head out the top, and you just took a good breath because of all the money you had in that room. A, a room full, literally a room full. Wouldn't that be good? And he said, that'd be great. And then you heard a voice when your head popped out, and this voice says, thy fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. I said, what good would all of that money be? Beware of self-satisfaction. Here's the point. If you're focused on ownership and not on stewardship, now listen, you can ask yourself that question right now. Am I focused on ownership or am I focused on biblical stewardship? If you're focused on ownership and not on stewardship, you're on the wrong path. We have to invest in eternal things. So let's get it straight. We're stewards, we're not owners. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Don't live like a fool and allow things to give you a false sense of security. Our main priority is that we should be rich toward God. Luke 12, verse 21. And if we are, are invested in eternal things, then we'll be rich toward God. And then, and I don't have time, but later on, he goes in, in Luke 12, he goes in, when you get your stewardship in the right priority, he goes into a discourse about worrying. When your stewardship's where it should be, then you don't have to worry about your house and your clothing and your food and your shelter and your utilities and all of that stuff. These things, things, those things you need will be added unto you. Seek ye first, he says at the end. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you need will be added to you. But don't seek things first. Seek him first, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you.